Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. My guest today is Sam Artery. Welcome, Sam. Hi, Craig. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for taking the time. Um, I know that you do a ton of mediation. Quite literally, you said to me, hey, I had a cancellation. Can you do? I'm like, yes, please. Uh, so thanks for taking the time. Um, there are so many things that we could talk about. So we do a conversation beforehand and we started talking about, for me, I'm I'm all about conversation is like my that's the thing I'm really into. And I see a lot of podcasters who maybe their thing isn't interviews or conversation, but they try it because it's often part of some of the workshops. And I see them sort of recoil in terror from it sometimes. And I, I think there's, I don't want to say that conversation is like mediation because I think that's a lot harder, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are about how people can look at conversation when there really isn't any danger of it becoming, you know, con confront, uh, confrontary. That's not a word, Craig. Confrontational. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on, on like how we do ourselves in when we approach conversation, like from the wrong mindset or with the wrong goals or outsized beliefs? Or um, I, I, I find that, that people really like the idea of control. Uh, and I think a lot of things we do in our lives are to live under the illusion of control. Um, mm. I mean, what, 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 I, I mean, in my job, and I've done somewhere between 4,000 and 5,000 mediations, 100% of the people that show up have had something happen that they didn't expect to happen. Not 99%, right, 100%. Right, all of them. And, yeah. and then those conversations, because self-help didn't work. They hire lawyers, lawyers file lawsuits, they, and, and, it, and it proceeds from there. But I think with, with a lot of the conversations that people have, if they thought about it more as if they're having a cup of coffee with a friend uh, in a local coffee shop or in their kitchen, then they don't have to worry about it as much. They're not usually worried about where those conversations go. And even the confrontational piece that one of the things that, that I've started, I find a lot of people get a little bit of a knot in their stomach when they think a conversation might be confrontational, or even if they just yeah, don't the know hard what, ones. Yeah. Or, or they just don't even know what the conversation will be. And, and I like acronyms because they help me remember things. So one I've started using most recently is the acronym of PARC, P-A-R-C, which mm -hmm. is pause, assess, reflect, and choose. Um, and, and it, the, the assess, the pause is just to take a break. So I don't, if I get nervous, I don't have that immediately fight, flight, freeze response to what somebody <laughs> else might say. Um, and we can live with a little silence. I'm a talker. So I tend to fill silence. I have to sometimes dig my fingernails into my thighs to get myself to be quiet. Um, but the assess is, okay, what do I think the facts are? We may disagree what I think the facts are. And I can reflect, say, do I want to engage this or not? And then I get to choose. So I'm, I'm choosing mm. and all that can happen in about five seconds. And if I choose, then I don't have to necessarily react. I can respond. Mm. Um, the other thing is if the other side is stirred up, that's usually some discomfort on their part. They're usually afraid of something and they feel compelled that they've got to get you to agree with something. If I can, and this is not easy if I'm really aggressively disagreeing with somebody, but it's a great place to have some compassion, to think, okay, that person's uncomfortable. They're so uncomfortable that they need, they think they need me to agree with them. Can I have a little compassion for their suffering, even if they're irritating me right now? And it just, oh. it frames it differently in terms of how my body's affected, how my brain chemistry is affected. And that doesn't mean that I, I love them and want to give them a big hug if they're poking me in the eye. Yeah, but it helps. Compassion is about understanding, not, not about trying to change anything. Um, 
Thank you so much for bringing up compassion. My personal mission is creating better conversations to spread understanding and compassion. That means literally my having, you know, have conversations, try to get better at having conversations, but it also means teaching people, you don't need any help clearly, but teaching people around the world, like how to do it better. And I think that it took me a long time to realize, I wonder what your thoughts are on this. It took me a long time to realize that before one can really be good at having compassion for others, you have to have compassion for yourself. Like I never really thought of self-compassion as a thing until I realized that sometimes my, I'm going to say my inability to just like figure out what I'm trying to accomplish. Like, why am I in a conversation? I mean, I know why I'm in this one, but why am I in a conversation? Sometimes I have to just pause and think about yeah, I'm wigged out about this, or I'm actually trying to control that, or I'm making all these other mistakes. And I think that maybe people try too hard to be compassionate when they haven't first conquered, you know, conquer thyself first, or physician heal thyself. Um, do you find that your role as a mediator? Do you are do you feel like you're trying to show other people how to how to converse, or do you feel like your your role is to like remove enough things from the picture so that they can find resolution or how do you see yourself in that triangle well kind of all of the above and and i'm careful about using the word resolution because i find resolution is usually temporary if it's really a big dispute we continue to process it after we leave a lawyer's mm -hmm. office or, or think about a conversation a conversation you have with someone a, a loved one or a business partner or something that where you both get heated you might reach a point where you both decide we're going to let this be <laughs> But you're still processing yeah. it as you, you've decided we haven't come to blows. We're not going to leave the marriage. We're not going to blow up the company. Um, and, and this is where we are right now. I'm going to leave it. But your brain's processing it after you leave that. I mean, it's it's even when you think you're not thinking about it, you've got, why do I have this free-floating right. anxiety? So what, what I guess one of the things that's helpful for me is, um, and this is just my worldview, I think everybody gets up in the morning trying to give life their best shot. And sometimes their best shot just sucks. Um, yeah. and, and if I can think that way, then I can realize, well, golly, it's Craig that who's, who's best effort isn't very good today instead of mine, or some days, boy, it really is mine. I want, I want to own my part of it. Mm. Part of the way I, I frame a response to conflict. Cause since, I mean, I have, I live in a university town and so there are lots of people that are, that are really, really smart, way smarter than me. And they're part of an academic community and they know they're smart, but they still, I'll talk to them and they'll say, boy, every time there's conflict in the hall, I want to run back to my office, shut the door and, and put on my headphones. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so here are three things that I find if people do this, but, but it's a choice again, it's not easy. It's to embrace the discomfort. Say, okay, I'm not going to run away from this. I'm not going to try to talk them out of it. I'm not even going to try to get rid of my discomfort. I'm going to sit with this discomfort for a little bit. Uh, and, and the second one is to radically listen. And I think of radically listening different than the active listening we learned in Intro to Psychology. It's setting aside my agenda and listening while being open to the possibility that I might be wrong. Mm -hmm. um, even if I think it's only 1%. I, I, yes. I want to really listen. Say, so you look at the political discourse that goes on now or other things that happen. It's like everybody is so busy preparing their response and demonizing the other side. There's not, let alone active listening, there certainly isn't radical listening going on. Yeah. And unless I can be open to that, then it becomes really difficult to do anything meaningful. And the final one is what I call accepting your 5%. And I'll tell you a story about this. I, I went, my, my wife and I were really struggling about 25 years ago in our marriage and a friend called me and he, and he said, uh, he said, Sam, let me take you out for a sandwich. And we went out for a sandwich. He said, how are things going? Um, and I said, boy, things are horrible. And then I launched 
my wife and I have now been married for 39 years, but I, I launched into a diatribe about things really stink right now. And let me tell you all the things Patty's doing wrong. I just went on and on and on. And finally, he let me run out of steam. <laughs> right. Um, and people that know us both tend to think Patty is more reasonable than me anyway. Um, but but he let me run out of steam and he said, he said, Sammy, you done? I said, yeah. But he wasn't like patting me on the back or telling me I'm right. He said, Sam, for purposes of our conversation, I'm going to assume Patty is 95% of the problem. From this point forward, we're only going to talk about your 5%. Um, and he just owned me. I mean, that, that was kind of one of those seminal moments in my life that anytime I'm, I'm upset about something, part of it has something to do with me. I could surrender. I could give it up. I could do whatever. Or I could engage right. in the conflict. And he certainly wasn't saying that, that my wife was 95% of the fault. He was saying, you can't do anything about her 95%. Right. So let's talk about your five because you're just deflecting all that and, and it's giving you no responsibility. It can't help the problem. So let's have that conversation. And that's a, that's a difficult conversation, but it was, it was huge for me. That, that lunch at Schlott or that dinner at Schlotsky's Deli over my bad turkey sandwich was a really important evening. Oh, there are so many things in there. Um, I think that I, uh, sometimes I have trouble. Did we talk about uh, I always call it the dichotomy of control. Like what things do, does one actually have control over? Um, you are temporarily able-bodied. You are tempora temporarily a rational creature. You are temporarily able to, you know, all those things. Um, and I, I think we talked about that before we were recording. And I'm, I just love how that, um, the 5% idea, your 5% idea, I don't say forces, but it, it, just instantly makes me go right. Like, what is whatever whatever's going on? I'm having an interview, a conversation, uh, whatever. What it what is it that I actually can attempt to change just within myself before I even try and change anything in the world? I think that's a terrific thing to draw people's attention to. And now I'm thinking. So for podcasters who are listening, I can think of two places where all this stuff <clears throat> could really be helpful, and one would be in outreach. And I'm kind of tempted to let's say, let's talk about guest outreach because that's a really, that's the thing that doesn't get talked about a lot. And the other one would obviously be conversations, which most people would call interviews. And well, let's do something. I'm just going to like, go, go where my brain says. And I know you don't have a podcast, so you haven't done a lot of this, but outreach is a big deal. People who do podcasts, who are trying to find guests, there's a whole market out there, a marketplace of people trying to sell their guests to the, but I'm talking about Craig has a show, needs to reach out to Sam. Um, and to me, it's easy. I do hundreds of them. I just, I, you know, and it's not like I spray everybody, but I'm thinking like, oh, I'd actually like to talk to Sam, which is followed closely by, hey, Sam, I don't know if you remember, <laughs> you know, like I, I just do the thing, but I'm wondering a lot of people struggle with that. And are there, are there any things that we can, that we can highlight about what you've learned about conversation that would help people understand how to better approach doing outreach? Um, well, first of all, I remember an old prayer. Somebody told me, um, that God helped me, um, avoid the procrastination that leads to self-hatred. Um, Ooh, that's, <laughs> see um, it again while I write it down. <laughs> God saved me from the procrastination that leads to self-hatred. Um, and, and I find that, and we were talking a little bit about earlier, and, and I, I tend to think most things are, are fear-driven. Um, I want to know an outcome before I try it. 
Um, and when we talk about, and people have lots of ideas about the three or four or five biggest fears. So, uh, but, but among the fears people have is rejection, loss of self-esteem, uh, loss of self-control is another one or loss of control. And even as you were talking about control, the things I can control, I mean, if you look at, at kind of how people live, we can't even completely control ourselves, right? I mean, right. look how many people are signing up for various weight loss or, or uh, programs. And you look at the, the things, and I, and I spent some time writing on my blog about New Year's resolutions. You know, I, mm. I don't make them, and people do, and I wish them the best, but most of them don't get kept. So we want these things for ourselves. We can say, I know this is better for me but my behavior is still different than what I would tell you I wish it to be. Because, I mean, early, early in the day, I can tell you I want to lose five pounds, but when there's chocolate <laughs> cake in front of me at six o'clock at night, I'm eating the damn chocolate cake. I just yeah. am. Um, yeah. And, and that, mo- that 30 seconds of, of inhaling that chocolate cake is worth it to me. And then I go, Sam, you idiot. So, you know, th- those, so I, I talk to myself much more harshly than I would talk to you or anybody else. Uh, but so I guess in reaching out, I'd say that's the first thing. And the, the other part of it is um, sometimes I will, when I'm, when I'm teaching law students, um, I'll put up a quote on the board um, and I'll say, even if blank is not okay, blank can be. And fill in those two blanks. Um, it's harder to do when it's not visual. Anything come right. to mind for you on how you might fill in those blanks? Uh, say it again, because I was listening. I yeah, wasn't trying e- to fill e- it. E- e- well, e- even if you wrote it down, even if blank is not okay, blank can be. Oh, that's that's a great analysis. Let's see. Even if, oh, even if, oh, I'm going to say, even if, uh, so I have a favorite podcast project. I don't be mean to the world, but this show is not my favorite. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> even if my favorite podcast project, which is Movers Mindset, most people would know, even if my favorite podcast project ceased to exist in the world, um, it would still be okay if I had a chance to talk to all those people. So I'm at 120 episodes in that other show, and they're they're all long form interviews. I've I haven't traveled all over the world, but I've been to other countries and done recordings of people that are famous and it's all in like the parkour space and other names for that. Um, so I think even if that project ceased to exist, like just completely disappeared off the internet, nobody could ever hear it again. I think it would still be okay because I got to have a chance to have those conversations. Well, um, I, I, I would and, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I, I was going to say, even here's what I, and I'm not claiming there's a right or wrong answer, but the way I think about it, because it, it really, I really am going to come back to reaching out to guests. Um, even if circumstances are not okay, I can be, even if mm. my circumstances are not okay. I, so there's no contingency in there about, I can be okay if it's just, I can be okay. And, and the reason I say that is when I, when I'm talking to students who are doing negotiation, most of them have some anxiety about it. They're concerned about outcomes. They're concerned about being evaluated. You know, if we talk about, you know, security and survival, I mean, all, all those things, you know, they get a little knot in their stomach, even though they're hypotheticals sometimes mm. when we're not even, even grading. And I think it's, it's it, if someone can internalize that, then there's less fear when somebody rejects you. Um, and you're not putting a condition on, I reach out and my world crumbles or my podcast crumbles or my life crumbles. And, um, and, that might be a little bit easier once ha- once someone has more tread on their tires at you know 25 or 45 or 50 or 60 or whatever right. else because you you can remember times where nothing has gone right and I'll be darned if you, you weren't still standing and living and breathing uh, right. and but but 
if you can internalize that, it makes it easier to reach out to those unknowns. Because I think what keeps people from doing that is the, the fear that they're going to get rejected or somebody's going to say no and, and say, okay, what if I just did that? And sometimes I encourage people to, to really envision what if the worst case scenario happens? I call Craig and he says, not only do I want to be on your, not want to be on your cat podcast, I think you're such a miserable son of a bitch. You shouldn't be on this earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, so let's say it really goes really badly. Okay, so go deep with how badly it goes. Can I still be okay? So yeah, I, th- I think I can. I've still got friends. I've got a roof over my head. I, I ate last night. You know, th- those, and I know that sounds really general, but people that talk about gratitude practices and other things, that it really matters. It, it can affect you. So, and then you get practice. You get a little, um, you know, some scars on your back from some people telling you to say, "Oh, I'll be darned." I get. I guess I need to ask ten to have one one say yes. Right. That's okay. I think about people. I've got a daughter who's a poet, and I don't know how many times, and she's got her MFA in poetry, and she still writes. But I don't know how many times she sent her book transcript out. And it's been rejected, rejected, rejected. I say, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to send it out again tomorrow. <laughs> send it out tomorrow, right. <laughs> I think that's great insight. Um, the hard part is people think that it's, people think I'm really good at asking questions. I'm like, what actually happens is I forget that I'm supposed to talk next. <laughs> I get so interested. I'm like, oh, right. This is the part where I'm supposed to continue. Um, I love, there's a, an idea that's stuck in my head and I don't quite have the words for it about not letting your judgment of something. So I'm thinking about goal setting, not letting my judgment about, did you succeed at the goal, Craig, not letting my judgment about the thing be a judgment of myself, which is either right next to what you're talking about or it's the exact same thing. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's, that's always going to be the right, that's the right uh, aspirin to be taking, Craig. Like don't confuse my assessment of, you know, performance or what happened with my assessment of myself, self, self-worth. Yeah. I I think, and I'll I'll probably be wrong. And I don't know whether it's Brene Brown or somebody else. A lot of people have talked about this, but just the difference between guilt and shame. I mean, guilt, I did something bad and shame. I'm a bad person. Um, Mm. And I, and I think that kind of goes along Mm. a little bit with what you're saying. I mean, this project failed and I didn't meet my goal. Um, I'm disappointed in that. Uh, And I might even not think I gave it my best effort. However, that does not make me a bad. I, I don't want to internalize that to say, "Oh, it's part of my whole." It it, it mm. is it it is part of me. It is not all of me. Uh, mm. But I, I find those things in those moments where you're where you're afraid and and you're disappointed and maybe you even are shaming yourself. I wouldn't encourage anybody to do that. But 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 that you are. Um, it it gives you a, a moment to back to to reflecting a little and say, "Okay, I mean, this is part of life, and nobody gets everything they want." But at the same time. Um, if you don't put yourself out there, you don't have a chance to find out and finding out. I mean, I, my, one of the examples I write about in, in my book, positively conflicted is, is leaving law school. Um, and I just quit in the middle of the fourth semester, which is, <laughs> which is not a path most people would suggest. Um, and I, and, and I bought a bus ticket and, and I was a bar back at Harvey's casino out in North Lake Tahoe for a while. Um, and I, and I made no, no plans in terms of withdrawing from, I just left, left the Dean along melodramatic notes and I'm out of here. Um, mm. And while I was at, in, at Harvey's Casino, living in the back room of this old guy's house and working the, the graveyard shift, he sends me a letter and said, I'm going to give you a one-year leave of absence uh, from law school, no questions asked. I've withdrawn you from your classes so you didn't fail. And he finished with, the unexamined life is not worth living. Mm. But kind of back to the, what you were talking about, what I found is I was just too afraid to find out. And I didn't realize that for years, but I, I thought rather than really putting my best effort in, I'd, I'd hang out and I'd drink and I would not go to class and I'd play my trumpet or do whatever instead of doing those things. Cause then I had an excuse. If I failed, that would make sense. 
But right. if I pass, that wow, what might this guy do if he really gave it his best effort? Well, I didn't want to give it my best effort and then find out I'm still a mediocre law student. That might have been that might have. We're never going to know that. But I, but the narrative I played, well, golly, if I worked as hard as all my friends at the top of the class, I'd do as well too. We don't know that. That might be that's just a fantasy in my head. Hmm. Um, so and I'm sorry for, for talking so much, but but a story that so I do that when I'm 24 years old. Um, and and then when I'm 37, some guy tells me this story about about a saxophone player in South Bend. He said, this guy is a saxophone player in South Bend. And every time a band came through, they wanted to play with him in Chicago because he was the best saxophone player. They all wanted him to play with him. So one of these bands gets a big gig in New Orleans, longer period of time, paying him more money, place to stay. And they call the guy and they say, come down, leave South Bend, come play with us in New Orleans. Um, and the guy said, no, they sent somebody to see him. He says, no. And they said, well, why won't you do this? And he said, as long as I'm in my little apartment in South Bend, I can believe that I'm the greatest saxophone player in the world. If I go to New Orleans, I got to find out. Um, and his comfort was staying there and not having to find out. He could live with that. The idea that he might go and fail was too much for him to contemplate. And that that was the first time, 12 years later, 13 years later, that I really started to understand what I was really afraid of and why I quit law school. It took a long time. Terrific. I, I got nothing to add. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because anything I add will detract. Um, yeah, Sam, I don't, in there you said, sorry for talking so much. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's great. We need to talk more. I think your ideas need to be heard wider and further afield. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. I'm glad that you got, I'm like, Ooh, are we going to get to say positively conflicted, but we got to the title of the book at the final hour. So terrific. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for taking the time. And I would say, well, thank you. I would say my, um, I've got a website, samartery.com. If anybody wants to look at it, you can join me on LinkedIn, uh, the same place where I talk about some of these things. And I love hearing other people's ideas. I, I've, I've realized I'm not original. And so other people spark a lot of great things. So thanks for the opportunity, Craig.